This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. I am Janice Leibovitz and you are my People of the Book. Well, we are more than halfway through August, which is Women's Month, as we all know. So I thought it would be the perfect time to talk about books by female authors and specifically books that are, have been sent to me by three specific organizations or publishers and and a shop who support me and who support the show wholeheartedly, um, specifically Pan Macmillan, Penguin Random House and Exclusive Books, who send me books every month, who send me the lists, who ask me what I want to request. And every month I get deliveries of books from them. So these are books that have been sent to me by those three specific organizations, businesses, and I'm going to be chatting about some of the books that they've sent to me in recent months. Most of them are readily available in stores, and these are all by female authors. Some of them I have read, some of them I have not yet had the opportunity to get to, and a couple of them I've started, one of them I'm listening to on Audible, and Let's get to it. Some of them you may have heard of. They are gaining in popularity. There are always those books that just hit the road running and everyone's talking about them. You'll see them all over the place. They are front and center in all the bookshops when you go there. Everyone's talking about them on social media. They are popular authors. So let's start with a really big one at the moment. It's Lisa Jewell's new book called The Night She Disappeared. And I'm very um, specific about this book because she is one of my favorite authors and she never fails to disappoint. And it's a quick read because you won't want to put it down. This one is about 19-year-old Tallulah. She goes out on a date with her boyfriend, who also happens to be the father of her baby. And it starts off in 2017. It's written in a split timeline. She leaves the baby with her mom, Kim, and she goes out on a much-needed break with her boyfriend. But she doesn't come back, and neither does the boyfriend. And the next morning, her mom phones around to her friends, and they tell her that Tallulah was last seen heading to a party, at a house in the nearby woods, and the house is very um, sinister. It's called Dark Place. Um, doesn't that just appeal? Because it appeals to me. But she never returns. Next thing you know, it's 2019, and Sophie has moved into a cottage near a boarding school where her boyfriend has just started working as the head teacher. He's the principal. She's just moved in. They are going to be living on the property as he's going to be working at the school. And she sees a sign just outside the, the fence by their house, and it says, dig here. Da, 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 dum. It's a cold case, an abandoned mansion, family trauma, and dark secrets that lie at the heart of this incredible book. And as I said, you won't be able to put it down. And it's written in the split timeline. You you see what was happening at the time with Tallulah, her mom, her boyfriend. And you see what's happening with Sophie as she's trying to adjust to this new lifestyle with her boyfriend and the school that they are now living at. And 
Sophie herself is an author. She's got a bit of writer's block. She is trying to figure out how she's going to fit in in this new lifestyle that she's not used to. They're living in the country now. She's used to living in London, which is um, quite a bustling town, obviously, compared to where she's landed up. Um, she's given up her life there to come and live with her boyfriend because she figures, well, you can write anywhere. And she finds herself now in the midst of this mystery. And she, as she's a, a bit of a cozy mystery writer, she can't resist. Dig here. I mean, you know, where do you go from there? And she, she finds out about, um, what happened to Tulula and she starts trying to find out about what happened. You know, she can't resist, you know, a girl and her boyfriend who went missing, left her baby behind. Who would do that? And she starts digging into the past to find out. She can't resist the name of this house, dark place. She goes off to find it. It's a deserted mansion. And she just gets drawn in deeper and deeper and deeper. And so will you. Go and look for The Night She Disappeared by Lisa Jewell. You won't be able to put it down. We are chatting about books by female authors as it is Women's Month, and I'll have more for you. We are talking about people of the book. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. I'm back, and as I said earlier, seeing as it is Women's Month and we are more than halfway through, I thought it would be the perfect time to chat about books by female authors and specifically books that have been sent to me by a couple of our publishers, Penguin Random House and Pan Macmillan, and also exclusive books who support me and the show every month and who send me books that I request from them. So thank you to them. And we're chatting about the books. As I said, some of them I have read, some of them I haven't had a chance to get to yet but there's something for everyone here. So before the break, I mentioned a really popular one at the moment, which is the new Lisa Jewell book, The Night She Disappeared. And if you enjoy that kind of, of genre, I am going to tell you about the new Shari Le Pena, which is also very similar. It's called Not a Happy Family and fabulous. Really, it's short, sharp chapters, pacey and also, another one you won't be able to put down, and I particularly stayed up pretty late into the night reading this one. I lost a lot of sleep over this. It's about a wealthy family, lots of secrets, and um, two dead, murdered parents. So in this family, everyone is keeping secrets, especially the dead. Brecon Hill in upstate New York is an expensive place to live. You have to be rich to have a house there, and they don't come much richer than Fred and Sheila Mercer. But even all their money can't protect them when a killer comes to call. The Mercers are brutally murdered the night after an Easter dinner with their three adult kids, who, of course, are devastated. Or are they? They each stand to inherit millions. They were never a happy family thanks to their capricious father and neglectful mother, but perhaps one of them is more disturbed than anyone knew. Did one of them snap after that dreadful evening, or was it someone else that night who crept in with the worst of intentions? It must be. After all, 
if one of your siblings was a psychopath, you'd know, wouldn't you? This one is, it'll keep you guessing. It'll keep you on your toes. You'll think you know who it is. You'll change your mind about 50 times throughout the book. The characters are not particularly likable, particularly the parents who were murdered. The father is a horrible man. The way he treats his children is absolutely despicable. And the children themselves, you you don't even want to feel sorry for them because they're just not nice. But you want to just keep reading. There's nothing better than books with unlikable protagonists because there's just something about them. You want to see what they're going to do next. And that's what this book is. So Fred and Sheila are brutally murdered and their children, Catherine, Dan and Jenna, all start to turn on each other. And you just have to wonder, well, did one of them do it? Which one could it be? And then you start to think, no, it couldn't have been. Couldn't have been one of them. And then there's... Um, a sister, um, Fred's sister, who gets thrown into the mix, and she's also an equally equally horrible person. None of them are nice. You don't want any of them to inherit the millions, but you keep reading because Shari Lapena just has a way of writing that draws you in and keeps you there. And the detectives are so confused by this entire case. And then there is the cleaning lady who's that part of the family. But is she really? It's fabulous. It's called an unhappy, not a happy family. I keep calling it an unhappy family. It's called not a happy family. And it's by Shari La Pena. Go and get it. If you are um, someone who doesn't mind staying up late in the night and losing any sleep, you will love it. Onto something completely different. A book that's been out for quite some time, but has received so much coverage. And really, a lot of people have been talking about this book. It's The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip Williams. I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's very literary. And um, if that's not for you, then it's not going to be your cup of tea. But I would suggest that you try it. It's very different. It's a fascinating look at how the Oxford English Dictionary was developed and um, early, early 1900s, literally 1901. And it's, it's absolutely fascinating. It's a whole new world that was created specifically for the creation of, of a dictionary. And, you know, I did some research on this. There is, um, research at the back of the book and photographs of the scriptorium, which was where they sat day in and day out for years. And people sent them, people who worked for them, people who researched for the developers of the Oxford English Dictionary, they sent them words. And there were words that came on these slips of paper that were called slips. And Esme, who is born into this world because her father works with the team of lexicographers who are collecting these words and deciding what is going to be put into the dictionary, she grows up in this world. She literally goes into work 
every day with her father, her mother's passed away and she sits under the table and that is her world. And one day a slip of paper that has been discarded falls under the table and she looks at this and wonders why this particular piece of paper and this word has been discarded. And even the discarded words were kept and she wants to know why it was discarded and it becomes her mission to seek out the discarded words and it, it's a look at feminism, it's a look at, at misogyny. The words in the dictionary were, were developed by men. It was a male world. Only men were allowed in and men were the ones who decided what was acceptable and what wasn't. And Esme sets out on a mission as she grows up and grows older and becomes more aware and becomes aware of class and becomes aware of hierarchy. She realizes where she sits in the hierarchy, where her friend Lizzie, who's a young servant in the big house where the scriptorium is based, where Lizzie fits in, where she fits in, where her father fits in, where all of them sitting around the table fit in, it becomes, her, her world widens up. And then she she starts to meet people and she learns about the women's suffrage movement. And we learn about it too. And about the suffrage movement at its height, the Great War was looming. And the Dictionary of Lost Words actually reveals a completely lost narrative. She starts to steal words. And she has... She learns to have no shame about that. And the stark difference that is shown between the way she feels about what she's doing, what she's doing, stealing these words and the way her friend Lizzie feels about it is, is shown in, in huge clarity. And it's, it's beautifully shown. It's beautifully written. And if you have a love for words, if you have a love for the development of words, if you have a love for the teaching of words and for sharing and educating and for anything like that, then you will love this book because it is, it's something that I don't think many of us ever thought about. You know, we, we've grown up with dictionaries with the, the, the thesaurus. Oh, stumble over that one. It's something that, you know, it, it's, it's something we've been made aware of through this beautiful book and um, it's definitely worth reading. It's the Dictionary of Lost Words by Williams. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Liebowitz. You're listening to me, Janice Liebowitz. It's People of the Book and seeing as it's Women's Month, I'm talking about books by female authors. And the next book I wanted to talk about is by someone who's quite well known in our community, although she hasn't lived here for some time. It's Joanne Fedler. She has always maintained a connection with our community. And her books, when she's coming out of the new book, they're always highly anticipated. And I think she writes, I'm going to make it quite personal because she does write specifically for a generation and it's, it is my generation. 
we are of a specific age, we're of a certain age. And her books do appeal to women of a certain age. And that just happens to be the age that I, the age group that I fall into. So her new book is called Unbecoming. And I know that she fictionalizes her book, but there's so much truth and so much authenticity thrown into her work that you just identify with it and you know it's coming from a place of truth. And I've, I haven't read the whole book. I've started it and you just, you want to take her books and go off somewhere and have a quiet space to absorb and read them and hold them close. And her books are something special. So just to, to tell you about what Unbecoming is about. And I'll read you the, the description. While on her three-month marriage and motherhood sabbatical in the country, Joe bumps into an old friend, Fiona, who invites her on a sacred silent walk to mark her 57th birthday, the first since her husband, Ben, died. The last thing Joe wants is to share anything about herself. These are Fiona's friends, not hers. And what's she going to say? That her young adult children have made life choices she doesn't understand? that she has no idea who she is anymore, that everything is falling apart, even her happy marriage to Frank. But the unexpected intrusion of a young backpacker into their secret location unleashes powerful and conflicting emotions in each woman, provoking conversations and confidences that stray into the shadowlands of motherhood, the mysteries of midlife, the future of monogamy and Mother Earth. Under the canopy of the open night sky around a small tended fire, the women share wise counsel, spill their secrets and offer up their stories, each exposing corners of truth the others need to hear. Unbecoming is a funny, heartbreaking and provocative homage to the midlife unraveling as women on the brink of elderhood speak honestly about their lives. And I think that this is something that so many can identify with. And I think this book is going to just be another bestseller for Joanne. And I wish her the best of luck with it. And I think her books are something that our community in particular and South Africans in general um, hold very dear. So that's Unbecoming by Joanne Fedler. The next one is another one that's um, gaining huge popularity. It's Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. And anyone who knows me knows that her previous book, Daisy Jones and the Six, was one of my favorite books of all time. And I have to say, Malibu Rising is definitely no Daisy Jones. Um, it was an okay read. I didn't love it. But it was okay. I read it and yeah, I got through it and I, it's enjoyable. It's, it's one of those books that I'd say take it on holiday. It's a, it's a really enjoyable holiday read. It's about four famous siblings and I always wonder with her. She's, she's Taylor Jenkins read was always a bit of an it girl. So I'm always searching through her books and wondering who her characters are based on. She's got this very clever way of she names people and you know that they are fictional characters and she names TV shows and people who've recorded albums and movies and, and they're all fictional. 
and you're racking your brain to think who they are based on because you know she's based them on someone well-known and she talks about scandals and they're fictional and you know she's based them on fact somewhere. She's very, very clever at her craft and she weaves it around fact and she's just that little bit off point that you can't pinpoint who and where the facts are. It's She's quite brilliant with that, which is why I think she's so popular and her books just hit the bestseller list the minute they come out. So this one is about these four famous siblings who throw an epic party every year to celebrate the end of, of summer. Um, but in the course of 24 hours, their lives will change forever. Malibu, August 1983. It's the day of Nina Reva's annual end of summer party and the anticipation is at fever pitch. Everyone wants to be around the famous Reavers. Nina, the talented surfer and supermodel, brothers Jay and Hud, one a championship surfer, the other a renowned photographer and their adored baby sister Kit. Together, the siblings are a source of fascination in Malibu and the world over, especially as the offspring of the legendary singer Mick Reaver. The only person not looking forward to the party of the year is Nina herself, who never wanted to be the center of attention and who has also just been very publicly abandoned by her pro tennis player husband. Oh, and maybe Hud, because it is long past time to confess something to the brother from whom he's been inseparable since birth. Jay, on the other hand, is counting the minutes until nightfall when the girl he can't stop thinking about promised she'll be there. And Kit has a couple of secrets of her own, including a guest she invited without consulting anyone. Malibu Rising is a story about one unforgettable night in the life of a family, the night they each have to choose what they will keep from the people who made them and what they will leave behind. It's an enjoyable read. It really is. And although, I mean, I, I've, I've admitted already, it's it's nothing like Daisy Jones and the Six. Don't expect it to be. But it is trademark Taylor Jenkins read. And as I say, she's she's a master at her craft. And you'll read this and people love, it's, it's like one long gossip column. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of fun. So I, I do recommend it. Uh, Malibu Rising by Taylor Jenkins Reid. For something completely different, and I haven't read this one, but I just adore the cover. And I, I just love owning it because I love the cover. It's broken in the best possible way by Jenny Lawson. The cover has a llama wearing a crown, and I love it. Um, so Jenny Lawson, for those who don't know, is a New York Times number one best-selling author. She wrote Furiously Happy and Let's Pretend This Never Happened. And this is a very relatable book filled with humor and honesty about depression and anxiety. Yes, humor about depression and anxiety. She is very funny. Jenny Lawson is hilarious. And her fans all know, her hundreds of thousands of fans all know that she suffers from depression. In Broken, she takes her readers along on a mental and physical health journey and offers heartbreaking and hilarious anecdotes along the way. With people experiencing anxiety and depression now more than ever, 
Jenny humanizes what we all face in an all too real way, reassuring us that we're not alone and making us laugh while doing it. From the business ideas that she wants to pitch to Shark Tank to the reason why Jenny can never go back to the post office. Broken leaves nothing to the imagination in the most satisfying way. And of course, Jenny's long-suffering husband, Victor, the Ricky to Jenny's Lucille Ball, is present throughout. This is an absolute treat for Jenny's already existing fans and is destined to convert new ones. Broken is a beacon of hope and a wellspring of laughter when we all need it most. So if you're looking for, it's, I don't know if it's a self-help book. I'm not really sure what genre this would fit into or if you can classify it at all, but it's called Broken in the best possible way. And it's by Jenny Lawson. I'm going to play devil's advocate here and I'm going to talk about the missing sister. Now, for those who waited and waited, and we all waited for a very long time for what we thought was going to be the final book in the Seven Sisters series by Lucinda Riley. And yes, we were all devastated when we heard of her passing. It was tragic. It is tragic. And I think we are all still reeling from from hearing of her passing and that she had actually been struggling with cancer for the past four years. And when we think about what she produced in those four years when she was ill, it's quite incredible. And it was actually a gift to all her fans and all her readers. So as we were anticipating the release of The Missing Sister, which was delayed by COVID, thank you again for that, um, we then heard that it wasn't going to be the final book in the series. We heard that there was going to be an eighth book about Pa Salt. And for those who don't know and who don't follow this series, it is about an extremely wealthy man, a billionaire, who adopted six babies and brought them up in his mansion in Switzerland, wherever it was, or I can't even remember. I've read them all. Um, and for some reason, never found that seventh sister. They are named after the seven sisters of the Pleiades. There is a vast amount of background information available on Lucinda Riley's website on the stars, the sisters, it's, it's, it's really, an, it's very interesting. I mean, the, the background information is, is amazing. The research that she did, it's just amazing. And everyone has their favorite. Um, for me, I wanted to love this book. It's, its background is in Ireland. Each sister has her own background in a different spot on the globe. My favorite is still the first book. And I wanted to love this because it's based in Ireland, which is my favorite place in the world. And I just didn't. Uh, the writing felt fake, stilted. I don't know. To me, it felt like she hadn't written it. Um, the conversations and so much of what happened were so improbable and just so 
ridiculous that I skipped a lot of it. Um, yes, I did. I love the historical aspect of it. I did love that, that Irish part of it. I love the, the Irish history and, um, all that about how the troubles started. And, you know, we all know that the island has an extremely rocky history between the Protestants, the Catholics, the breaking, breaking away of um, the independence, Northern Ireland remaining part of, of the United Kingdom and the, the absolute hatred of the British. They've had a very, very disturbing past. And that was interesting. I loved that part, but a lot of the rest of it, not great, especially a lot of, as I say, the, the conversations that happened, it was just so ridiculous. For fans, they'll enjoy it. I mean, I got through it. It's, it's a huge book. It's, it's, it's a doorstopper of a book. Um, but you know, it's, you've got to read it. If you've read the series, you have to read it. And yes, I will read the next one. I want to know about Parcelt and the eighth book is called Atlas. It's coming out next year. And I think that before she passed away, she commissioned her son to write the book. I, I actually am quite sure that a lot of it has been written. I think she probably wrote a lot of it with her son before she passed away. Um, I think everyone has their theory as to who he is. Uh, I think everyone has their theory as to who Zed is and who Zed's family is. Or, you know, I, I think everyone has a theory. We could, we could start a whole WhatsApp group on that. And there probably are lots. Um, so yes. And I'm sure I will be absolutely lambasted for my opinion. So feel free, but yes, we're all different. Thank goodness. But that's the missing sister. And yes, we, we will all still, regardless of our opinion, I think we're all still looking forward to reading Atlas when it comes out. And I think we all need some closure. So we're looking forward to that coming out next year. Um, another one that, that I found quite interesting, and I know it received a lot of hype that I, I don't know, I think it was slightly misplaced, was The Mad Women's Ball. Very interesting book. It was translated from French. It's by Victoria Maz. Maz, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's a literary historical novel that details the horrors faced by institutionalized women in 19th century Paris. And Amazon Studios have actually made it into a film, which looks fabulous. And I know that often films don't do books justice, but this one really looks absolutely amazing. It's about, it's based on, on fact. And in the book, it tells you which of the characters are actually based on real people, which I found also very interesting. I love books that do that. It's about the Salpetriere Asylum in Paris in 1885. And Dr. Charcot holds all of Paris in thrall because he displays, he puts on displays where he hypnotizes women who have been deemed mad and cast out from society. I think many of us know that back in the day, um, what was deemed as mad 
were very various things that today are quite normal and accepted. And these women are often just simply inconvenient. Unwanted wives, people who've lost something precious, wayward daughters, girls born from adulterous relationships. And once a year, he holds what he calls the Lenten ball, which is the mad women's ball. When the great and the good come to gawk at the patients um, of the asylum, they dress them up in their finery for one night only. And for the women themselves, it is a rare occasion and a rare moment of hope. Even though everyone's coming to gawk at them, um, they, it, for them, it's a bit of normality and a bit of, of beauty and a bit of a nice, pleasant evening. It's a highlight for them. So Genevieve is a senior nurse at the asylum and she lost her sister in childhood, her sister Blondine. And after that, she shunned religion and placed her faith in the psychiatrist, Dr. Shalko and science. But everything begins to change when she meets Eugenie, the 19-year-old daughter of a bourgeois family who have locked her away. And they've locked her in this asylum because Eugenie's secret is that she sees spirits. The book itself was inspired by the band work called The Book of Spirits. And obviously Eugenie wants to escape from the asylum and the bonds of being female. And she's looking for people who will believe her. And of course, at that time, nobody believed her. And people who believed in spirits and anything like that, they were shunned and they used to meet in secret. And she, she really wants to break out of this asylum. And Genevieve and Eugenie land up helping each other and developing quite an amazing relationship. And it's an interesting book. I'm not sure if it lost something in translation, literally, because that does sometimes happen. So it is possible. It's an enthralling book. It's quite intriguing. I like the history. I liked, I mean, I didn't like the attitude that people have towards anything different, but that's just the way it is and the way it was. So if you're interested in, in that kind of thing, it's a very interesting book. It's a beautiful book. And as I say, I'm waiting to see the film because I think that's going to be beautifully presented and created. There's so much scope for for the work that they can do with that, especially when you think of a masked ball in an asylum um, in the 1800s. It sounds amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. It's The Mad Woman's Ball by Victoria Maz. This is People of the Book. I'm Janice Leibovitz. I love it when you read to me. This is People of the Book with Janice Leibovitz. You are listening to People of the Book. And as it's Women's Month, I thought we'd take a chance to chat about books by female authors, specifically books that have been sent to me by publishers and shops that support the show. So we're talking about books that I've received from Pan Macmillan, Penguin Random House, and exclusive books. Every month they send me lists, things that I'm able to request. Some of these books I have had a chance to read. A lot of them I haven't managed to get to yet. So we're talking about those books, a variety, some are fiction, nonfiction, just uh scope of books, something for everyone here, and I hope you will go out and look for them. 
And the next one is an interesting one. It's called I'm a Girl from Africa. It's by Elizabeth Niyamayaro. And it's about a child who lived in a village in Zimbabwe. Um, Elizabeth grew up there and she had no idea that her near-death experience would actually spark her dream that would change the world. And literally she lived in utter devastation and that was going to be what was going to define her life purpose. She was sitting on the ground, unable to move from hunger, and a United Nations aid worker came up to her and gave her a bowl of warm porridge, which saved her life. It was a transformative moment for Elizabeth. And at that moment, she was a child, and she decided she was going to become a humanitarian. And she vowed to dedicate her life to giving back to her community and her continent and the world. And she's grounded by the African concept of Ubuntu. I am because we are. And this book she's written, it charts her quest in pursuit of her dream from the small village where she lived of um, Goromonzi to Harare, London, New York and beyond, where she eventually became a senior advisor at the United Nations and launched He for She one of the world's largest global solidarity movements for gender equality. And for over two decades, Elizabeth has been instrumental in creating change in communities all around the world, uplifting the lives of others, just as her life was once uplifted. And this memoir brings to vivid life one extraordinary woman's story of persevering through incredible odds and finding her true calling while delivering an important message of hope and empowerment in a time where we need it most. And I think that stories like this start off with such devastation and just become so inspiring and bring such hope. And we need to, we need these stories and we need to read them. We need to share them. And she only has my utmost admiration. And it's an incredible story. It's I am a girl from Africa by Elizabeth Niyamayaro. The next one is something that, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but it was only released in paperback this year. It's Becoming by Michelle Obama. Now, I'm not actually reading this. I'm listening to it on Audible. And it's narrated by Michelle herself. And I actually had to stop listening because I reached the part where her father passed away. And to hear her narrate that, it was so moving and actually I found it quite dramatic and I had to stop listening for a while because I found it quite devastating. But up until that point, um, listening to her talk about how she grew up and the family that she came from, I have just loved it. And she, she really grew up in a very down to earth, salt of the earth family and Listening to someone who became such a, an icon and married to a world leader and thinking of who the Obamas are, you know, notwithstanding however you view political views and anything like that, you know, we're talking about people and their essence and listening to her speak 
about how she thinks of people, her views on kindness, her views on how to treat people. I just love that about her. I think reading the book and listening to a book narrated by the author, those are two very different things. And I know that particularly I don't get a chance to listen to books that often, but when I do, I do prefer them to be narrated by the authors themselves. And this one in particular has made a huge, huge difference. It's made a huge impact on me. Um, the memoir itself, it's a work of, of huge, deep reflection. And it's, it's actually incredible storytelling. And she invites you into her world. And she tells you about the experiences that have shaped her. She grew up on the south side of, of Chicago. And, you know, I wouldn't say she grew up poor or in poverty, but they certainly weren't wealthy. They weren't even comfortable. And she she speaks in this book with with just honesty and wit. And she talks about her triumphs and disappointments and it's it's just honest and open, and I, I recommend it. Whether you read it, whether you listen to it, I recommend it. I want to end off um, with a book that maybe it's not a good book to end off with. Um, Mission of Malice, My Exodus from Kwasi Zabantu by Erica Bornman. For anyone who um, is into that whole cult thing, Many of you, I'm sure, will remember this. If you're listening and you remember the Kwasi Zabantu um, drama that played out, what struck me about this book, I haven't finished reading it. It's, it's quite horrific. Her family, Erica Bornman's family, they start out as, as just a, a normal average family. And then they get moved to this Kwasi Zabantu, what they call a mission. It's not a mission, it's a cult. And they use Christianity to justify harsh punishment. They make their own, own rules. The parents are pitted against the children. They, they, they use their rules to isolate everybody. And everyone just lives in constant fear and fear of eternal damnation, basically. And they, they groom the young girls and it, it becomes basically impossible to escape. And the parents left them there. They left them there and went to, to live in, in France because supposedly the father wanted to, to train to, to teach other people. He wanted to proselytize. I'm not sure what the story was. I think at the moment with the, with the hype that's come from, from Devil's Dorp, which is huge and talking about cults and, and the brainwashing and the brain, you know, all that kind of thing. This book is very relevant now and it's been, it's come out at a, a very appropriate time and people are talking about it. And I think that also these are things that happen under our noses. These are things that happened not deep dark history these are things that ha- things that happened a few years ago we remember reading about them hearing about them on the news and this happened here like devil's door happened here and this is really worth reading 
Um, Erica Bornman, I mean, her mother and her sister still don't speak to her. And she's chronicled her journey from this, this little girl. She's an, she's an active, she's an activist and she's determined to do whatever it will take to save future generations. And, you know, she's still trying to find her own personal redemption and self acceptance. It's something that, you know, do you ever escape? You know, you might leave, but do you ever really escape? It's Mission of Malice by Exodus from Kwasi Zabantu, Erica Bornman. I hope that you have found something in the books that I've mentioned today. As I said, Women's Month, I've been talking about books by female authors, specifically those that have been sent to me by Penguin Random House, Pan Macmillan and Exclusive Books. And I thank them for their continued support and for continuing to send me books. It's really appreciated and people of the book appreciate the support. Thank you so much and have a great week. Shabbat Shalom. Look after yourself. Take care of each other. Get vaccinated. Wear a mask and read a book.